1: This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. So what is Mitch McConnell's real legacy? McConnell just announced that he's stepping down at the end of this year as Senate minority leader after nearly 17 years leading the GOP in the upper chamber. It's been widely said that McConnell was an opponent of Trump and no longer has a place in the party of MAGA but the story is more complicated than that. In many ways, McConnell's own career trajectory closely tracks and is directly responsible for the descent of our politics into the disastrous mess we now find ourselves in. There may be no person alive better equipped to discuss McConnell's life and impact than veteran congressional observer, Norman Ornstein. Way back in 2012, 14 years ago, Ornstein labeled McConnell the central figure in the Republican Party's crack-up into dysfunction and extremism in his book entitled, It's Even Worse Than It Looks. Ornstein called this long before most others did. Welcome, Norm. Good to be with you, Greg. First, I want to play some audio of Mitch McConnell having some choice words about our guest.
2: Actually, some of the worst things that have been said about me over the years have been said by Norm Ornstein,
1: <laughs> and uh, you've been you've been entirely wrong on virtually every occasion. I- well, McConnell didn't like you very much, did he, Norm? What prompted that outburst?
2: So we had a long history, Mitch and I, going back actually to before he was a leader. But much of this was about the role that I played in campaign finance reform, including helping craft and spearhead the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, McCain-Feingold, which he was bitterly opposed. And that plus criticism I made of him as a leader, uh, including some that you talked about, uh, did not sit well with Mitch McConnell.
1: So let's start at the top. The oft expressed idea that McConnell took on Trump over January 6th is largely exaggerated. McConnell had a chance to kill off Trump and failed to do it. McConnell refrained from saying Biden won the 2020 election for weeks because he wanted to harness MAGA energies to win the Georgia Senate runoffs. McConnell did not rally GOP senators to convict Trump after his impeachment. Now Trump is within striking distance of the presidency again. Isn't that McConnell's chief legacy?
2: If Republicans had convicted him, then certainly along with that, they would have barred him from running for any further federal office. That would have taken care of that. I think we still would have gone forward with these uh, trials, with the indictments, and his plight would be significantly worse. We would have had a very different Republican primary process looking for a candidate. And at the same time, there's also the reality, Connell was right on one front, that taking on Trump in this way was to the long-term advantage of a Republican party if it wants to be, by any stretch of the imagination, a responsible party, a problem-solving party, one that could compete legitimately in our political system. But in the short run, it was going to deeply divide the party. Trump would have uh, called his followers Including using violence to turn on all of those Republicans who'd betrayed him. He would have had allies out there in the right wing tribal media, and they would have suffered in the short run. But the fact is, McConnell and the Republicans who have been a part of his orbit have never looked at what the long term should be, have never tried to compete as a party that could actually win over a majority of Americans. They focused on attracting big money, using dark money, suppressing votes, and misusing the rules and norms of the Senate to get their way, including, of course, packing the Supreme Court.
1: Let's start at the beginning, Norm. McConnell has recounted that he was a glowing supporter of Lyndon B. Johnson's signing of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. That might surprise a lot of our listeners who know the McConnell of today. Who was McConnell back then and what was his early career like?
2: You know, I interacted with McConnell uh, in the early days when he was in the Senate. He was the chairman of the uh, uh, Foreign Aid Subcommittee of the Appropriations Committee. He was a pragmatic, moderately conservative Republican. His mentor was John Sherman Cooper, who was one of the giants of the Senate, was a moderate to liberal Republican, basically a moderate Republican. I have to believe that John Sherman Cooper... Uh, if it were uh, more than an, uh, a, a, uh, an analogy, would be rolling in his grave right now over what happened to Mitch McConnell. As he moved along, as he became the chair of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, had those leadership uh, objectives, uh, a new ambition, he became more and more radicalized in terms of his willingness to use any vehicles, any opportunities, no matter what the cost, to accomplish his goals. And he became somebody very different than the Mitch McConnell in his early days in the Senate.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about those early days a bit more. I mean, if he if he was in favor of LBJ and the Voting Rights Act in 65, presumably, uh, you know, his career, he, he came up in Kentucky, of course. He must have been to some degree an opponent of what was happening to the Republican Party in the wake of Jim Crow and the realignment that was happening. You say that he was, um, was allied with some liberal Republicans. What was his attitude towards that realignment? And was there a point at which he, he really did object to what the Republican Party was coming? was becoming
2: in the post-civil rights era. I I think McConnell was uh, a a part of an effort. And there are a lot of people who started out in the Ripon Society, the sort of moderate wing of the Republican Party, who rebelled against their leadership because of the racist policies, uh, because of their opposition to voting rights. But now so many of them have become Trumpists or have uh, basically uh, mobilized against it. Keep in mind, beyond the 1965 Voting Rights Act, we had multiple times in which the Voting Rights Act was renewed. The most recent time before the Supreme Court, the McConnell-driven Supreme Court, led by John Roberts, blew up the Voting Rights Act with the Shelby County decision, that version of the Voting Rights Act had been adopted unanimously in the Senate. Then what happened? After they blew it up, Was there any effort to try and redo it or even to do something that would answer the court's objections to Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act or beyond that? No, they killed any opportunity to do it. McConnell moved to the same position that has become basically the standard of the Republican Party, which is the best way to succeed is through voter suppression and Of course, that follows on the reality that uh, what used to be a solid South of Democrats and the Voting Rights Act enacted over the objection of those segregationist Democrats, all of those people who were segregationist Democrats and their uh, successors are now Republicans. That's a very different uh, role for the Republican Party. When the Voting Rights Act passed, it would not have passed without Republican support. Uh, Everett Dirksen, the then Republican leader in the Senate, uh, Bill McCulloch, a very conservative House Republican from Ohio, they provided the votes to counter the Southern conservative segregationist Democrats. That's not true anymore. Mitch McConnell is now a part of the very different Republican Party.
1: At the time, McConnell was part of the of the of the wing of Republicans that helped Democrats pass the VRA, uh, and then it sounds like what happened over the years is, as he became more and more of an inside player, he, he he embraced power politics in a way that he hadn't before, and became more and more nihilistic. That that leads us to him becoming a big enemy of campaign finance reform, right? That's one of the real points of consistency throughout his career, isn't it? What what motivated this this hatred of, of campaign finance reform and this desire for our politics to, to kind of drown in, in in money?
2: I actually think that McConnell's uh, strong views and uh, role as a champion of uh blowing up all the campaign finance regulations, began when he was chairing the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. That was his route to becoming the leader of his party. He went out there to raise money, and he realized that it was going to be much easier for Republicans if they could raise money from big donors, and especially if they could do it with dark money.
1: Let's talk about the relationship between McConnell and Barack Obama, which is kind of the birth moment of the present mess, I think. In many ways, McConnell was the chief architect of GOP obstruction at a time when Obama won popular majorities twice, the only one since Ronald Reagan to pull that off. So I think McConnell can be understood as kind of the key bulwark against that majority coalition as it came into its own as a force in our politics right i mean the obama coalition he was the he was he was standing athwart the obama coalition and yelling stop as it were
2: and remember his famous statement early in the obama presidency that our number one goal is to make barack obama a one term president and when i saw that quoted at first i thought well you know that that must have been a misquote or a misstatement he must have said my number one goal is to Make sure that the economy thrives and to make sure that people are taken care of and to make sure that America is strong and to accomplish that goal, we should make Barack Obama one term president. But no, he cut right to the chase. It had nothing to do with policy or policy goals. It was, we need to win. And what he did was to take Senate rules and, you know, let's step back for a second. You can have laws, you can have rules. Those are uh, the fundamental to a political system. They're like the exoskeleton of a political system or of an institution like the Senate. The norms, the way you operate within those rules, are like the tendons and the ligaments. If you lose those, the whole thing collapses. McConnell took a filibuster rule that had been rarely used. That basically, the whole idea was if a minority and not just a party minority feels intensely about something, then they should have the ability at least to hold off on action to be able to make their case to the public. But it should be something of enormous national significance and used extremely rarely. And McConnell began to misuse this rule, violating all the norms, by using the filibuster for everything, for things that ultimately pass unanimously, for confirmations, for mild, uh, even uh, uh, PR kinds of laws, because each one could be uh, used to take up an enormous amount of time on the floor of the Senate to exhaust the Senate. And if you don't have the time to pass your laws if you have to go through multiple hurdles to get your judges or your executive appointees in place, you're going to deeply damage an administration, but along the way, you're going to damage the country. And McConnell spearheaded all of that and fundamentally changed the way the Senate operated and not for the better.
1: You know, that that leads to, to another big picture point here, which is that one could argue that McConnell as much or more than anyone else cemented the GOP's transition into a party heavily dependent on minority rule, achieved through unscrupulous tactics such as stealing a Supreme Court seat that should have been filled by the president who won popular majorities twice and opposing efforts to legislate against voter suppression in the states. Isn't he the chief architect of the Republican minority
2: rule party we know today? Well, you know, Newt Gingrich might want to have a word with you on that front, but... (laughs) Mitch uh, certainly was a, a key player in all of that. And, you know, to put it more broadly, Greg, the Republican Party a couple of decades ago was at a crossroads. If they Demographically, they were on the losing end, looking down the road. And they had two possibilities. One is they could change the way they spoke, their rhetoric, and their approach to some policies, staying within a conservative framework but to try to broaden their appeal so that they could actually compete for a majority of Americans in their support. The second alternative was to say, we're not going to change a thing, except we're going to suppress the other side's votes so that we can win, knowing that the political system is already tilted in favor of minority rule and with the Electoral College, with the Senate uh, being skewed towards smaller states, with the way that you can gerrymander in the House, and with their control over many state legislatures, and with their ability to use the courts and to use their uh, obstructionist capabilities, they were able to basically create a, a, a regimen of voter suppression and uh tilt themselves so that they could win with minorities. they win with minorities when they lose the presidential popular vote. They win when you can have an outrageous decision by a McConnell stacked Supreme Court on Shelby County that basically said John Roberts, the uh chief Justice, said, "You know, there used to be discrimination, but look, it's gone now. And the day after the decision on Shelby County. Shelby County itself began to reenact their Jim Crow voter suppression laws. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the time said that uh, Robert's approach was like if you're standing in the middle of a driving rainstorm with an umbrella over your head, you can say, Hey, I'm not feeling any rain. I can throw away the umbrella. But McConnell engineered that and has basically uh, reinforced it. And we have a big problem now. And of course, Of all the violations of norms, the way he handled the death of Antonin Scalia and the uh, uh, nomination of Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court um, was the most outrageous, but it's closely followed by the reality that after saying, well, you don't do this during the year of a presidential election, McConnell engineered and fast-tracked the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett eight days after Joe Biden had won the presidential election. So, you know, Mitch McConnell uh, has a lot to answer for.
1: I think that gets at another way in which it's wrong to describe McConnell as the kind of
2: anti-Trump.
1: The minority rule party that McConnell created is also the one that Trump rode to power, right? Trump, who never won a popular majority, tried to treat the 81 million votes of the majority coalition that voted him out as illegitimate. In one sense, Trump and MAGA kind of picked up the ethos of minority rule through manipulation of the process that McConnell instilled and then ran with it. So in that sense, you can trace a direct line from the party of McConnell
2: to the party of Trump, can't you? I would say absolutely. And I think you can say that uh, Donald Trump didn't start this. Donald Trump was a logical extension of it. And then Donald Trump became an accelerant of it.
1: Right, exactly. Now let's come up to the present a little more. McConnell's chief difference with the MAGA forces within the party these days has been over aid to Ukraine, and this is often described as an argument over, quote unquote, foreign policy, but I think it runs deeper than that, right? Many MAGA Republicans are agnostic about a Vladimir Putin victory in Ukraine, or maybe tacitly rooting for one, really because they admire the ethno-nationalist, illiberal strongman rule of a Putin or Hungary's Viktor Orban, and see Trump as its paragon here in the U.S., where they want to see him do something quite similar. McConnell is socially conservative in all kinds of ugly ways, but he's not quite that kind of Putinist Republican, right?
2: No, he's not. And I think you could say that, well, McConnell uh, is not somebody you would uh, look to for uh, consistency in ideology or even suggest that he has a strong driving ideology that would uh, occur to him over power. But there are some things that he cares about. And he is still part of the old Reagan esque view of uh, where the world is and a belief that Putin and Russia are evil and a belief that our alliances need to be strong. Uh, So he's tried to maneuver his way around this. But what McConnell has discovered is that he's being squeezed in two directions. One is that some of the Republicans he helped to recruit to run for their seats. And others, maybe he didn't particularly want in the first place, now have a center of gravity uh, in power in the Republican uh, Party in the Senate. And that's people like Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley, somebody he didn't want and like in the first place, his colleague from Kentucky, uh, Rand Paul. It includes the Marsha Blackburns and Tommy Tubervilles, Of the world, and they're pushing him on the right because they're less interested in pragmatic power politics and more in their radical ideology. But at the same time, he's had to deal with a batshit crazy Republican majority in the House with a leader who is clueless in terms of how to make things happen. And that's been deeply frustrating to him. Just to step back for a minute and look at that former squeeze, remember that what McConnell tried to do, wanting the aid to Ukraine, but believing that it could be a useful hostage to bludgeon Democrats into, and Biden into swallowing hard with a draconian border bill. Set this up so that to get the aid to Ukraine, you'd have to swallow the border policy. What did he do? He picked one of his uh, loyalists, uh, a senator from Oklahoma, Jim Lankford, to lead the negotiations, brought in another ally in Kirsten Sinema, who's worked more with Republicans than with Democrats, and along with Democrat Chris Murphy, they negotiated, negotiated, came up with something that required Biden and Senate uh, Democrats to swallow hard. And then, of course, his own party in the Senate undercut him, And now he's struggling to figure all of that out, but he's also struggling to try to avoid a government shutdown, which McConnell believes will not be in the interest of Republicans in winning either the White House or winning back the Senate, and finding that he has no partner in Mike Johnson or the House Republicans.
1: It's true that he's definitely at odds with some of these newly radical forces inside the Republican Party. However, I do want to bring this up. Just before the 2016 election, and this is widely forgotten, McConnell urged Obama not to go public with private intelligence about Russia interfering in the election on Trump's behalf. It seems to me McConnell at that point thought he could use Trump and the MAGA movement to his advantage, and he put that over the interests of the country. Yet it's kind of ironic that he's now under fire from a much more emboldened MAGA Putinist presence in the party. He's kind of tried to ride the monster, and it's Sort of de- devoured him alive.
2: I'm glad you brought that up because I think that was one of the lowest moments of McConnell's Senate uh, career. What happened, of course, is that alarmed by what they saw from the Russians, the intelligence community asked the president to convene the so called Gang of Eight. The Gang of Eight is the four leaders the Speaker, Minority Leader of the House, Majority Minority Leaders of the Senate, plus The Democrats and Republicans chairing and ranking on the intelligence committees into a highly secret meeting where they put out all of this information. And the intelligence community wanted a public warning to Russia to stay out. And Mitch McConnell effectively blackmailed Barack Obama, saying that if he did go public with this, McConnell would denounce it and say it was just a political ploy on his part. This was clear, McConnell was putting the interests of his own power and party ahead of the interests of the nation. But you're exactly right. He didn't do that because he wanted to strengthen Putin. He thought that it would help Republicans win the Senate and win the White House, and then he could co-opt Donald Trump. Now, there are far too many people, including leaders in the business community, who thought all along that they could co-opt Trump. They've all been co-opted by Trump.
1: Well, look, McConnell was not wrong in one sense about being able to use MAGA. He he got three Supreme Court justices out of it, and he got a multi-trillion-dollar tax cut for the rich and corporations that Trump, as president, signed, as well as a host of attacks on organized labor. In a way, you could argue that McConnell did harness MAGA in service of the longtime GOP corrupt bargain in which social conservatives get their judges and the wealthy GOP donor class gets their tax cuts and union busting right
2: absolutely and, and during uh, the 4 years that uh Trump was president uh, really McConnell did almost everything that would benefit Trump in what he wanted to accomplish but it's not surprising that it didn't take very much of a move on McConnell's part to have Trump denounce him and go after him because that's what Trump does with almost anybody and everybody uh, who tries to do his bidding or who works on his behalf. Donald Trump's presidency would have had much less success. And by success, I mean uh, getting things like that tax cut enacted and uh, getting not just justices, but flooding the courts, uh, the lower courts, with Trump judges who are now doing enormous violence to the rule of law and uh comedy in the country uh and mcconnell is not going to get any uh thanks from donald trump for doing that nor will mcconnell get any thanks for donald trump because after he denounced in no uncertain terms trump's role on january 6th he did as we started this out save trump's ass from being removed from office or from being uh convicted in the second impeachment he was already out of uh going to go out of office Uh, And uh, prevent him from running again. That doesn't hold any water with Donald Trump.
1: That really is his legacy in a way. He harnessed MAGA for as long as he could towards fairly traditional GOP ends, and succeeded at that to a large degree. But ultimately, couldn't prevail over it on Ukraine aid once it became such a powerful force in the party,
2: with not just Trump's help but his own help. Absolutely true. And Mitch McConnell is going to have a legacy that includes successes in winning majorities, successes in accomplishing narrow goals, but the bottom line of this legacy is that he's done deep damage to the country's national security, to the nature of the Senate as an important uh, and viable institution in a democratic republic, uh, to the country as a whole.
1: Well, Norm, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. That is Mitch McConnell's real legacy. Thank you so much for all your insights today.
2: You bet, Greg. Anytime, you, uh, you have a terrific podcast here.
1: Folks, a couple of quick notes. Don't miss two new pieces now up at TNR.com. Alex Shepard on the warning signs for Trump and his soft support within the GOP electorate and Anna-Marie Cox on the intersection between GOP minority rule and unpopular Republican policies on reproductive rights. We'll see you all tomorrow. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network.